Well, good morning. We have an opportunity to kick off a new series today. I feel like I am in the batter's box because I have been wanting to do a series on this for a while. It's been a few years. And I used to speak on this subject a lot because I used to be a young adult pastor, college and career ministry, and it was front and center all the time. But as we've gotten older, I've discovered that the question does not go away. So I get to step out of the batter's box today, or out of the waiting circle, and come up to the plate, and we're going to start taking some wax at this subject, the subject of discovering God's will. Discovering God's will in your life. Now, I don't know about you, but I can look back on a lot of different times when I was sort of confused as to trying to understand, well, God, what do you want me to do? I remember when I was in high school, and and I had gone out with one girl, and And then there was another girl that I went out with, and I liked both girls, and I was trying to decide which girl should I really give more attention to. You been there? And I took one girl to the concert, a Christian concert. It was an outdoor concert. I was very excited, one of my favorite groups. And so we went, we sat on, I don't know, third or fourth row. I was pretty excited. And as I was walking in to sit with this girl, I turned around, and there was the other girl right behind me. began to press the decision a little bit more quickly upon my life, discovering God's will, right? So we got all kinds of decisions flying around us, and many times, if we're honest, we just want to sit down and go, I am so confused. Could somebody help me make a decision? And if you are a Christ follower this morning, you more often than not have a time of prayer, and you say, God, what do you want me to do? You been there? I tell you what, it never goes away, does it? No matter what age or what place that we are at, confused, concerned, weighted down, some people, maybe you're there this morning, are even paralyzed because you've got to make a decision and you don't know what to do. What is God's will for your life? This verse comes out of the psalm. It says this in Psalm 143. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on firm footing. And that's what you want to have, firm footing. We talked last week about living life on a slippery slope. Well, here's a verse that says, I want to be on firm footing. And to do that, we need to not only hear, but understand and be taught what the will of God is from his very spirit. And I know this morning this is like, hey, this is a nice pop subject to have a conversation on. But there are some real decisions in the balance here this morning. And they're not only decisions that you're trying to make. Your very life and the trajectory of that life may hang in the balance. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this morning, we ask as we have worshipped you that your spirit would have freedom to speak into our hearts. We will look at your word, spirit. We pray that it comes alive to us. But may we begin in these weeks to lead a life before you that truly is in the center of your will. 
And Lord, here this morning, if there be anybody in particular that's weighing a heavy decision, maybe a decision has to be made here in the next week or two. I pray especially for them, Lord, that you would draw near to them and embrace them and instruct them and encourage them. Lord, maybe it's a decision that's not only being made by an individual, maybe by a family. Lord, maybe it's a decision that weighs upon a a team effort, whether it's in a job-related situation, Lord, in a school-related situation, Lord, even in church-related situations. Lord, show us your will in your name. We pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I thought I would just give you up front a nice map and then we'll be done. Here's the map. We are going to have a starting point in our life. And uh, with this map of discovering God's will, then we start out on the journey and we're trying to find our way around. What kind of friends should we hang with? What education should we have? The relationships we get into, the job, the marriage, a home to buy, kids, the unexpected things happen, then retirement, and then we're done. Woo! Boom! Done. How about that? You're all set. Right there's your life, the trajectory, and uh, you want to unroll the scroll and try to figure it out. Well, there are a lot of individual decisions that do impact our life that we immediately run to when we think of discovering God's will. Who should I date? Like I just mentioned to you, it was an early on decision. And then, of course, that decision leads to other kinds of decisions down the road. Eventually, like, who should you marry, right? Should I marry Sally? Should I marry Jack? Should I marry Bob? Should I marry Susan? You marry, you married Susan, Herb. That was a good decision. Good job. And um, anyway, there's the schooling decisions, right, before you end up getting married, right? There are the decisions of, okay, now, where should I go to college, Should I go to a big university? Should I go to a small Christian school? Should I go to UCLA, USC, right? Or should I go to APU? Should I go to Biola? Whatever, right? you got all these decisions weighing out. What should I major in? Oh, my goodness, I don't want to major in anything. I just want to get out of home, you know? And you're just like, what do I need to do? And then you wake up and realize it's not a nine-month camp, and you really have to make decisions. And so it's like, well, I'll jump into this major. And then... The statistics are really poor. What is it? 80, 90 percent of people never find a job in their major anyway. But, you know, you did the major, right? So you had that decision. And then you move on and you do make the decision where you're going to live. You end up maybe getting married. You finally see God's will in that person. Then you uh, are in that work environment. And after a while, you start to get a little restless and you say to yourself, should I stay in this job or not? Is there grass greener on the other side? I like the job, but I don't like the people, whatever it may be, right? And so you you uh, try to contemplate the vocational thing, but then God's speaking into your life, and he's speaking into your life about serving him. And so where should I serve him? What should I do with some of my extracurricular time? How should I be involved maybe in the church and, and sort of push out and do something for God? Should it be children's ministry, student ministry? Should I get involved in a small group, whatever it may be? And then comes the decision for kids, right, you know? Sometimes it's a decision, sometimes it's not. Well, I never do quite understand that when people said it was unexpected. What do you mean? There's only one way to have a kid, right? And so you knew that things were going before you there. So it's like, you know, so the kids come along and then you decide, I got a couple kids. Should I have a third kid or not, right? And then maybe another midlife crisis that comes. I was telling the men in our men's group this last week that I read a secular article that talked about why are so many men in their 40s in treatment centers for depression. Why? Because you go along this path and you get to certain points and you're 
you're sort of paralyzed sometimes, and you're like, have I made the right decisions? Am I really where I thought my life would be? What's going on? What's ahead? And then before you know it, the years tick by, and then you start to realize that, you know, there is a retirement uh, plan that needs to be forthright and coming. Before you know it, life closes up, and eternity breaks upon you. Life is brief. But day by day, week by week, sometimes life's not felt as brief. It's felt as laborsome in trying to discern what God's will is. Now, what I just described for you or what's shown up here on this map is where our minds usually go when we hear the subject of God's will. But I'm going to camp here this morning not on helping you have advice or discernment on any of those decisions. Because when we come to God's scripture and the subject of God's will, God's will is not foremostly concerned with any of those decisions or some of the decisions you're desperately needing an answer on this morning. There are two prominent ways that God's will is unpackaged in the scriptures. And we're going to be journeying through several scriptures today, but these are the two prominent ways. There's God's will of ultimate purpose, or what's referred to as God's sovereign will, or sometimes God's will of decree. And then there is God's will of personal command. And that leans into more what we were just talking about with the map. God's directive will. All right? And this is critical if you're ever going to find a place of, of not only peace, but a place of living life out without the inundating, beckoning calls of, have I screwed up? Did I go down the wrong path? Or what's going to happen to me? And then you get paralyzed. You need to understand the distinction between these two and see how these two interplay. God's sovereign will and God's directive will. All right? This is the primary verse I want to put before us this morning, and it's this verse. Therefore, out of Romans 12, 1 and 2, therefore... I think it runs off the screen there a little bit. Sorry about that. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, This is a common verse that maybe you've heard before. And foremostly in this verse, it's saying that the Apostle Paul is saying that he desires you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship, worship that is holy and pleasing unto God. And the reason he says that is because he's stepping back and he's taken a bigger picture of discerning what God's will and plan is for the people that he's writing to. And his will and his plan is foremostly that there would be this offering of your life as a sacrifice unto God. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. That begins to then labor into more of the directive will aspect. I want to take you to 
We just sung about it. Man of sorrows. Who is the man of sorrows? Jesus. You think about Jesus' life, and when Jesus was on this earth, 33 years in, we're headed ourselves to Easter and Passion Week here shortly, and so our minds start to get in that frame of reference. We're in Lent season. Think in terms of Jesus' life as he's weighing his life, his will, before God the Father. And he comes to the cross, and we find this verse. We find this verse in um, Matthew twenty six thirty nine. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Where did he speak those words at? Where? In the garden. The garden of Gethsemane. He's knowing what's before him. And he prays for what? I need to know your will. I need to know your will. God, Father, God, tell me what your will is. Right? And in that moment, he's speaking back to God what is his will. His will is like, I don't want to do this. Now that's his human aspect. He knew what stood before him. Father, not my will, but your will be done. He knew, though, that there is a higher will. There's an ultimate purpose will that goes on in the universe. And he willfully submitted himself to that will and to that purpose. There's a verse in Acts that states this then. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate must come together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what you, your power is. Oh, might ran off on my notes too. That's not good. They did what your power, what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Friends, it is something we really have to center ourselves on. The truth that though you want to discover God's will for your personal life, for your family, or for us even to discover God's will for us as a church, there is a sovereign will, a will of decree, a will of ultimate purpose that's going on for all time in all generations and in all seasons of life. And that is the sovereign will of God Almighty. Father, it's possible to take this cup from me. But I know, not my will, but your will be done. Because God had decided beforehand that there were certain things that were going to be set in motion for the restoration and the healing of this world. I position this truth to you. And it comes underneath God's will of ultimate purpose. God's will of ultimate purpose cannot be deterred by the sinful acts of others. I want you to think about this. Was there sin that happened with Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Jews? with the others at that time. Was there sin happening in that Passion Week? Sin all over the place. It was bloody before there was actual physical blood. 
It was bloody because people were doing wrong all around it. And God in his sovereignty allowed that sin to happen. Did he like that sin? No, he hates and despises sin. But sometimes God allows sin to happen in order for his ultimate purpose to prevail. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes or when we step on the other side into his heavenly realm, sin will be no more. It's a beautiful thought. But we live in a fallen and broken world and all around you sin is happening. Sin from your friends, sin from your family members, yes, sin from yourself. But in all that, is God's ultimate will on this earth going to be deterred? No, it's not. But God does look at that and he grieves for it. But in the midst of it, he is going to continue to work for his supreme good, for his supreme purposes. First Peter 3.17 says this, for it is better if for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. I'll give you another verse out of Daniel. Daniel says this, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? He does according to his will, and no earthly person can thwart it. His ultimate sovereign will, his will of decree, it cannot be broken. So don't ever worry about God. God's will will happen. It cannot be broken. Here's a smattering of some other verses just to look at. Matthew 10:29. Not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from our Father in heaven. Proverbs 16.33 The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Proverbs 16.1 The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. That's just a great smattering, and you'll find it throughout. And if you're going to take the Scriptures and you're going to do a study on God's will, then you need to understand this. There is an awful lot in this Bible that's merely referring to the big sovereign will of God. And I position to you, if you want to know God's personal will for your life, then you need to dial in and understand and embrace, as Jesus did, that there is a grander will that's going on. Because when all said and done, it doesn't matter the little epitaph that's written on our tombstones. It's just one tombstone amongst many around the world. But God prevails. And our desire needs to be to be supportive of his grand master plan and what he is doing. And so I add this, not only will God's will of ultimate purpose cannot be deterred by sinful acts of others, his sovereign will and eternal plans will always prevail. His sovereign will and eternal plans will always prevail. And you can make it real succinct. His will will prevail. 
His will will prevail. And that's not some type of fatalistic thought. It's not a giving up on him being personally identified with your life and your decisions and your discouragements or your hopes that are going on right now. It's us right-sizing ourselves with ultimate reality and say, his will will prevail. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of security in times of trouble. It gives me a lot of security when I watch the evening news. It gives me a lot of security when I see sin happening all around me and including maybe in my own life and my own family, is that God is not going to be deterred. His will will prevail. Interesting story of this comes from um, the uh, Nazi prison camps uh, in World War II. Any of you familiar with Corrie ten Boom, who she was? Corrie ten Boom uh, and her sister uh, were placed. Uh, they were from Holland, and uh, they were trying to help with the Jews, and they were placed into a German Nazi camp. And in this German Nazi camp, things weren't all that great, right? And uh, her sister, Betsy, ended up dying, but Corrie ten Boom, she ended up living and being released shortly before World War II ended, uh, I think it was a Nazi clerical error that allowed her to be released. And um, she um, uh, wrote different books. And when one of her uh, recollections of A Tramp for the Lord, I think is the name of the book, she writes this. Looking back across the years of my life, I can see the working of a divine pattern, which is the way of God with his children. When I was in a prison camp in Holland during the war, I often prayed, Lord, never let the enemy put me in a German concentration camp. That was her prayer. God answered no to that prayer. Yet in the German camp, with all of its horror, I found many prisoners who had never heard of Jesus Christ. If God had not used my sister Betsy and me to bring them to him, they would never have heard of him. Many died or were killed, but many died with the name of Jesus on their lips. They were well worth all our suffering. Faith is like the radar which sees through the fog the reality of things at a distance that the human eye cannot see. Friends, that is a mature heart. But that's not an easy heart to work your way to. Could it be in your circumstances this morning, God's trying to call you out of the myopic world that you live in and call you into the grander vision world like we talked about a few weeks ago for you to understand that it's His will that's ultimately the thing that's important. And we submit ourselves as individuals, as followers of him, to see his will prevail on this earth. And sometimes that means suffering. Now, that's not a health and wealth prosperity gospel. You'll have to go to another church for that. But as I get older, I start to realize that more often than not, Life unfolds by the way of the cross. And there's decisions you come to where you have to do what Jesus did. And you lay your life down. And you say, not my will, but your will be done. You know, it's important 
in our education to encourage children, to inspire them, to let them know they can get it, that they can become anything their heart desires kind of idea. We throw that out. It's important on sports teams that we may coach to make every kid know that uh, they have abilities and they can use those abilities to be a part of a team. But could it be, and sometimes our educational and instructional worlds, we are leading our children to be very self-centered when it comes to discovering God's plan for their life. Sometimes God just may have you be a pot that sits on a stove rather than some huge four-course meal that's displayed before others that gather around. We need to understand that foremostly, God's ultimate purpose, his sovereign will, is what's important. So we come back to the other aspect then. God's will of personal command. Appreciate that, Carrie. I thank you for that. That's a sobering thought. I'll really go out of here charged up today. Way of the cross, you know. But I don't believe the second one really comes into clear focus unless we understand the first one. The second, then, is God's will of personal command. He has a directive will for our lives. Let's look at a few scriptures um, that are listed there concerning God's directive will as it relates to um, his word. In Matthew 7:21, it says this. I can find all my sheet because on the slide I can't see all of it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, that means that not all do the will of the Father. He says, not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because not everyone will do the will of God. And maybe you're here this morning just on a spiritual journey, checking out, trying to figure out where God would have you to be. Uh, or if there is even a God, maybe, and I would just position to you quite clearly that this verse is true, uh, that even some who might cry, Lord, Lord, uh, and that go around with a Jesus badge on or a Christian badge on, you know, they may not enter the kingdom of God, but only those who really desire to do the will of the Father in heaven, Jesus says. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. This is his directive will, his will of command. All right. Uh, and many, many, including many of us in this room, including myself, when it comes to God's directive will. Now, remember what I said God's ultimate will his ultimate, his will of ultimate purpose cannot be broken. But God's will of personal directive, all right, personal decision making, that will of ultimate personal command is broken all the time. And scripture comes back and gives exhortation spot on to say, understand what the Lord's will is in your everyday life and live it out. And God's will for you is not to be happy, but to be holy. holy. I don't want to hear that one today either. I got decisions to make. I mean, there's opportunity before me. Which way should I go? 
And God cares about that decision. God cares about the major you need to to weigh into. God cares about the dating relationship that you're in. But God is more concerned concerning the directive will, his will of personal command, that you live a holy life and not a happy life. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I really had to practice this one recently in the years of my life because I'm like, God, where do I go? What do I do? What's your next season of my life, right? I don't like sitting parked in neutral in a garage. I am wired to move, to go places, make things happen. And God says, just be patient. In fact, when I was in transition uh, ministries, The only word I got from him was one word, and it was W-A-I-T, wait. I don't like that word. Wait. But this verse comes echoing back. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you. 1 John 2.17 says this. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. So I position this to you. God's will of personal command is revealed with final decisive authority in the Bible. I need to go God's will. I've got to talk to somebody. I got to, I don't know, I've got to spend time with God, the prayer. I, got to, sorry, I need a miracle. I need, I need a feeling, something to come to me. Wait, 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 wait. If you're looking for God's personal command will, then begin with the scriptures and start lining up how you're doing. Not to have you fall into some legalism or some works type of religion, but God's desire for you in holiness will ultimately move you to happiness because when you are full of him and in his ways, then that peace and that contentment come. And so he knows how he created you. He knows how he wired you. He knows how he created relationships around you. He knows how he's given you inspiration to accomplish and work and do things. And so he understands all that. And so we need to go to his word and begin working our way through his word to see what his decisive authority says into our life concerning everyday living. And in this, I can tell you where it's going. I can tell you where it's going. It's this. His will is for Christ to reign as supreme Lord of your life. The phrase, if he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all, is true. You cannot say, no, Lord. That is an untrue statement. If he is Lord, then you say, yes, Lord. Just like Jesus did in the garden. Just like Corey Ten Boom and her... Sister Betsy did when they were in a Nazi uh, prison camp. Lord, your will be done, not my will be done. And so scripture lays out for us in great detail the final uh, direct authoritative word of God's will for your life and for my life. And in that word, it's going to lead you to a place where Christ reigns supreme in all of your life. And if you're like me, if you're on the outside sort of looking in today, I ran for that from that for years because I thought I could come up with a better plan than God. 
But when you start to realize that whatever plan you come up with is only second best to God's plan for your life, then give it up. Just quit right there and say, yes, Lord, and bend your knee to him. Every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is his ultimate purpose. All right. The destiny, his sovereign will is that all creation will come into acknowledgement of who he lives. And as we move into eternity with a new heaven and a new earth, we will live in great, sweet communion with him, with all the plans that he has into the eons of time. All right. And we submit ourselves to his lordship in this life. All right. You know, as they often say, you don't see uh, a U-Haul attached to a hearse. You don't take it with you, right? There's so much we think we take accumulating and doing everything, but ultimately in that divine sovereign will, it's that God reigns supreme and he wants to reign supreme in our hearts and lives. And that's where this word will take you. So I want to encourage you in this. Back to our Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Don't conform to the mindset of the world, but be transformed by the renewing and the changing of your mind. Then you're going to be able to test and approve what God's perfect and pleasing will is. We have to walk this road of understanding God's ultimate sovereignty and then understanding his desire for lordship if we're ever to discover the particulars of our day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year life. Because I can tell you this, and we'll be going there next week, so come back, bring a friend. God wants to show you his directive will for your life. He's not into the hide-and-seek game. He's not dangling something to your head and pulling it back. He's not a game player. But he knows that your discovery of that place of fulfillment and purpose in life can never be found until you wrestle with owning his sovereign world and plan, being involved in it, and then surrendering your knee to him and lordship. Those are your two categories. We'll be working with those. I worked with them in my soul this week, and it helped me a lot. Uh, That statement that God's ultimate will is not thwarted by the sin of other people was very helpful for me when I came across it. A guy by the name of John Piper sort of brought that out as I was wrestling with some truth that he was laying out. And... uh, It gives me security. It gives me security because when I'm in time of need and brokenness, you need both those wills to understand what's going on. You need a high king, someone who you know is in control of things and can make changes happen. But you also need a high priest, someone who empathizes and cares for you. You see, I don't really think God's desire is for us to know future things. I'm sorry. If you needed to know future things, then go get a crystal ball. That doesn't work either. 
But if you desire to know God's will by how you live today and what's going on, then welcome to God's word. And in God's word, I have one who reigns supreme, is in control of all things, and is able to make things happen. And I know that that God is also a God who empathizes and cares because he walked some of the very roads that I walk with experiences in my life. Uh, There's a story told of a pastor who came uh, across a meeting with some friends he hadn't seen for a while, and he sat with them. (laughs) And uh, as he was having lunch with them, he noticed that the man seemed to be really calm, different than he normally finds the man. And he said something to his wife about, you know, your husband seems to be awful calm and restful. What's he doing? He says, well, things haven't really changed. Circumstances haven't really changed. But my husband made a decision that he would do a 21-day experiment. And every morning, before his feet hit the ground, and have you ever tried to roll out of bed and onto your knees before your feet hit the ground? It is possible, all right, <laughs> that you can pray before you get out of bed on your knees, all right? And he would pray this prayer or a version of this prayer. I changed a little bit to give some encouragement to us. And he did it for... 21 days every morning. It's a simple prayer. Heavenly Father, you are in charge of everything that will happen to me today, whether it be good or bad, positive or negative. Please make me thankful for everything that happens to me today and rest in your sovereign will, knowing that you are in control of all things in all ways at all times. If that becomes a consistent prayer for you and I, then we rest, we lean in, we have ourselves positioned, our weight is on the truth of God's sovereign will, his will of ultimate purpose. And then we live out his commands for that day according to his written word. And his directive is that we would know him in all of his fullness. A lot of, like I said, we'll talk about this more in some coming weeks. A lot of our everyday decisions um, have to be spontaneous. In fact, the vast majority, if not maybe upwards to 90% of the decisions we have to make during a day uh, are spontaneous decisions based upon what's happening around us. Somebody flies in your face and says something to you that's just not right or they don't do something. You have in that moment a choice to make. Will you get angry or will you respond in a godly way? And so if you want to talk about God's will, what's God's will in that moment? Well, his will is not to get angry. Now, God got angry and he hates sin. Understand, and there's a sense of justice and righteousness within that. But out of the heart flows what? What's in the heart. And so when God moves us to having a heart that's positioned and stayed on him, that in the everyday will and the choices and the decisions we have to make, then we will find God's presence rather than the error and the sin that we so often fall prey to. So if I pray, Lord, today, good and bad is going to happen to me, positive and negative is going to happen to me, I rest in your sovereign will. Again, this is not a fatalistic prayer. What's going to be will be, and we're going to be addressing that as well. But we are going to rest in God using the circumstances of my day to draw me more into Christ-likeness 
so that my response and how I live my life will be according to his will of Scripture. Discovering God's will. It was about a month ago that we had a um, governing board meeting for us as a church. And I um, knew going into that meeting that I was responsible as lead pastor um, to help cast some of the future year for us. Not only vision-wise, what God's calling us to do, I believe, but also uh, responsibility and being able to lead uh, an organization such as the Awakening Church. And one of the things that we do as a governing board is that we look at projections. That's appropriate, and that's not predetermining anything, but it's being responsible. So we literally have what are called budget forecasts, cash flow sheets, that show us all the way through the year and how things might come up and down so that we don't get caught being short when we need resources to be able to do his ministry. And you do the very same thing in your home with your budget sometimes, maybe probably not a 12-month forecast. And so I'm walking into the meeting, and I had made a decision shortly before that meeting um, that uh, I needed to be able to show where some cuts would be made for us as a church if we were not able to uh, strengthen ourselves financially. A lot of changes, as many of you know, that have been around for the awakening um, before that course church over the years. And so uh, the comings and goings, a lot of change. So it's like this is the day the Lord's made. You know, we're at it. We're being responsible. How does it go? And uh, in that, I realized that you can only cut so many variable costs. Everything's pretty well fixed. And if we were going to reduce our expenses that we needed probably sometime this summer, look at um, staffing issues again. And so I put in this budget a reduction uh, on a particular staffing role. And uh, I'd like to invite Jeremy back up, if he would. He's a little nervous about all this. Um, And on there, I uh, revealed that one of the ways that we could cut, because Jeremy, a year ago this time, we're knocking it down, doing some of the renovations here. Uh, Jeremy's been uh, with us on staff now for 16 months, something like that, I think. And uh, I said, well, if, you know, there's not some uh, change on that kind of thing, this is one area we could. Jeremy came on board part-time. He has... I don't know how many other jobs you got, four, trying to make ends meet. And so, uh, or doing God's work, I should say, just not making ends meet. And so um, the thought was maybe that he could maybe work his way into full time as as we grew. And so we're just trying to deal with reality. And uh, so I put on this budget sheet and I showed Jeremy walking into the meeting because he's part of the meeting, you know, maybe a a stair-stepping process. And uh, so we wrestled with, thought about it, says, well, you know, plans need to be. We'll come back and look at this again next month. And a few days later, Jeremy shows up at my house, and uh, he gave me a letter. What prompted that letter, friend? Well, um, you know, back in 2007, we were called into ministry out of banking. I was a commercial banker, ran a mortgage, part of a mortgage company, and it was a clear call of our life to go into ministry. And uh, since then, I can guarantee you, ministry life has never been easy, but it's always been rewarding. So um, every stop that we've made, we've made wonderful friendships and um, been able to uh, make an impact. And we feel that this has been the same. But we had to ask the question when that floated across the desk of what does God mean by this? And is there something God has for us in our life to pursue him? 
And we came to an obvious answer that yes, it wasn't to, you know, for my family's finances, go on life support and, um, you know, see what happens with with that trajectory. But no, God just gave us a tremendous peace to move forward and uh, to pursue what God has for us next. And that's where we're at right now. So he gives me this letter. He says, read this letter. We're sitting on my porch. I read the letter. I think I looked at you and said, I don't like this letter. He did. It did not say he was going to resign. But he was just, in as mature self that he is, offering to say, you know, I defer to the leadership of the church. Don't want to be in an awkward position. But maybe sooner rather than later might be better for what God's doing in our life and for the church. And this last week, the elders met uh, the governing board, and um, we decided to go ahead and move in that direction. So some of you received a letter, if you're a participating member of the church this week, concerning that change. Some of you that uh, did not receive it, this is new. But uh, as a sidekick and at least vocational paid staff, Jeremy and I, we're not divorcing, but uh, he is doing exactly what we talked about today. He is stepping out to freshly seek and discover what God's will is for their life, knowing that God's ultimate purpose is still intact. His sovereign will has not changed in Jeremy and Melody's life and their kids. But some of the directive will, maybe there's some course change going on. I won't have him go into all it, but he doesn't know what all of it means. I just want you to know that we have tried to navigate this uh, responsibly as leaders, but in it, and there's a sort of strange, quirky kind of way, I hate it, it still stinks, um, because I I don't know who's going to pick on me during the week, Um, but... (laughs) Or who I'll pick on. But it's, it's okay. Because our life's in the Lord's hands. And to some degree, we're optimistic. We're excited, if you will, about what God has in store for this. All of you have gone through changes and decisions that are made. I want us to embrace this decision and not see this decision as, oh my gosh, what's going on? There's nothing going on. It's just a simple, straightforward decision is we got to be responsible. And who's to say what God may do sometime in the future, right? I still want them to hang around here, but who knows what God's going to lead them to do. They have to be freshly open to what his leading is. And we, as Christian followers of Christ, will come to a place many times in our life that says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And Jeremy... I want to thank you for being a man of God to be able to take that kind of step. And um, it's not easy. No, no. Yeah, it's, it's never easy um, to go through this. I made a little joke the other day. I was standing in here by myself, and I was like, I'm going to leave these chairs twice. <laughs> Those of you that know the story about these chairs know, Pete knows. And so um, I just know... The interesting thing is, like, God's just given us a tremendous peace, and I really, I'm really not fearing. I'm not anxious, and um, I've got plenty. One great thing, not many people maybe get this opportunity, but I've got some tremendous mentor people in my life that I've been able to call nonstop to pray with and to go through, and it's just a blessing to be able to have that, and uh Steve, thanks for all our in-and-out trips and whatnot. And it's just, you know, there's so many people like that, you know. And so I just, 
you know, I know God's got something great for us, and we're just gonna we're just gonna step into it. So, let's pray. Lord, we thank you indeed that uh, your sovereign will reigns supreme, and we just ask that you would continue to help us on this road of allowing your supreme lordship to reign in our life. Lord, we do thank you for uh, just uh, the example of Jeremy and his heart and Melody as well as they step out before you, and we just pray, God, that you would lead them. Lord, we know that they are always a part of our body, whether they'll be attending here or not, and all that's undetermined. Lord, we do know uh, that you have plans for their life, and we just pray for them in these weeks and months ahead that that would be clearly revealed. Lord, for individuals in this room that maybe find themselves at the same place of a life decision, laying themselves before you, just love on them, embrace them, let them know that you're the high king and you're the high priest, that you are able and that you are also caring. Lord, we pray for us as a church as we move forward that we continue to discern what your ultimate will is for us. And Lord, um, we always have great visions and plans and desires of our heart. And Lord, sometimes your ways of using us in your broader kingdom work as a local body may be in different patterns than we might have envisioned. And Lord, I admit that even in my own life as I've perceived and tried to lay before you my heart for leading this church and the um, board and leadership teams as well. So Lord, we pray for your protection upon us. Continue to just inspire us. Lord, so many encouraging things, even in recent days for us as a body, that uh, there is definitely no fear that you are not going before us. And we just pray, God, that you would seal uh, this deal and that your will would prevail in all things, in personal families, in our church, and ultimately, Lord, in your uh, universal world. May you be glorified and draw people to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Brian. Good work. <laughs> You are given, and the worship team can come up. We're going to conclude with a song here and receive the Lord's tithes and offerings uh, for this morning, as well as your connection cards. If you're new, we'd love to be in touch with you. You were also handed on your way in this morning a first serve card. And uh, we've listed on this first serve card some areas that you can jump in. Because here's the reality. As we go through transitions as a church, I'm realizing, you know what God's doing? He's not reducing the number of ministers in this church. He's just reminding us that every member is a minister every one of us can play a part to forward his purposes through our local community called the awakening church and so we just listed a few on here if there's others you'd like to talk to me about you can mark them on there but if you'd like to serve in one of these areas we'll get in touch with you and we'll explain it more or how what the time frame may be but sort of just a fresh uh, call for us to join arms together and uh, serve god's kingdom purposes that his will would prevail as we desire for it to prevail, not only on the earth, but in our local valley. You do that? So the ushers will come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings, and let's close with this song concerning the greatness of our God.